Mario's podcast. You're listening to the series on the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is episode five. If this is your first time listening, I do recommend going back and starting with episode one so you can get a full picture of this amazing story we are studying. More on this podcast and other resources can be found at mariosministries.com. And again, I want to thank you for listening and considering uh, getting to know better the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We left the story last time with the destruction of Sodom. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, in his infinite mercy, spared Lot and his family from the destruction. But God told him not to look back or stop. And yet, Lot's wife, on verse 26 of chapter 19 in Genesis, disobeyed that command. She did look back and lingered in the plains, and she seemed to have been caught up with the fire and sulfur. Scripture tells us she became a pillar of salt. Now, let us pause and consider what to make of this. The scriptures are sometimes more than we can handle, but we must never gloss over what we are reading. This is a magnificent account, a terrifying account. This really happened. This is no fairy tale. It is history. This is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Fortunately, we have some help here from Jesus himself. And let me pause here and hand to you this precious Bible study tool. When you come to a particularly difficult passage of Scripture, look elsewhere. One of the miracles of God's revelation through Scripture is its cohesion. The whole of Scripture tells one story, and without the whole, you're missing a part. The Bible is composed of 66 books written over a period of roughly 2,000 years by 40 different authors from three different continents writing in three different languages. And yet there is a supernatural harmony in Scripture that will be your friend and guide in your personal study. It does require time and energy to get to know this, but I want to encourage you, this is a precious gift of God to you. Do not waste it. So, always interpret Scripture in light of Scripture. All passages fit together perfectly. And if you're reading something then, in a way that contradicts another passage of Scripture, you probably need to go back and reconsider what you are reading. This is why I always encourage preachers and teachers to teach the whole counsel of God, all of Scripture, not just the part we are more comfortable with, more familiar with, more contemporary. There's a danger in this because we are putting ourselves as sort of gatekeepers of what others hear about God and sort of second guess what the Holy Spirit can do in our lives when we hear the Word of God. But anyway, that's enough of that. For this story of Lot's wife, we have help from the words of Jesus in Luke 17. 
where we read of an account where the Pharisees, these were the so-called religious leaders of Jesus' time, they asked Jesus when the kingdom of God would come. Here's how he responded. Listen to this. The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. That alone there is something to think about for weeks on end. The kingdom of God is in the midst of you. But that's not what relates directly to this story, so I won't go there. He then turns to his disciples and he opens the window of heaven a bit to talk about the end times. He says, starting in verse 22, The days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look there or look here. Do not go out or follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was written in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building, but on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be one day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. These are the words of Jesus, my friend. Listen carefully. There are those today who seek to minimize the Word of God, especially the Old Testament, as having no real application to us in the 21st century. Do not listen to them. Do not disregard the Word of God, I plead with you. Not one part, not one book, not one sentence, not a single word. You have it from the mouth of our Savior. Remember Lot's wife. Our God does not change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob still rules. And he admonishes us to remember Lot's wife. So how do we do that? Well, one thing is to listen to God and never look back to the sin that ensnared us with nostalgia. What God has torn down was not to your benefit. Do not look back. Do not linger in the past. Do not long for Egypt as the people of God would do after the Exodus. We are Christ's new creations. All things have passed away. We are not who we were and we must keep our eyes 
on eternity. Detach yourself from the love of the world and love God above all else and through him your neighbor. What profits man to gain the whole world and in the end lose his very soul? It's Matthew 16:26. Okay, you get the picture. Again, we could write an entire book on this concept. We have much to meditate by remembering Lot's wife, as our Savior commanded. But we must move along here in this story we are discussing. Abraham gets up early in the morning and sees the scene from afar. The smoke testifies of God's judgment upon the land. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has kept his word. He always does. Lot goes to live in a cave, we are told at the end of chapter 19, with his two daughters. This is an amazing contrast with the man who had so many possessions he could not live with Abraham in the same land. But his unwise decisions have led him to lose everything. There are Christians like this today. I confess I have lived like this too. Ambivalent. You want to follow God, yet you are so attracted to the things of the world, you remain close to it. What fools we are. I bear the scars of my foolishness. And you will too. If you do not heed God's voice and long for holiness. You know the meaning of holiness, right? To be separated. We are set apart from this world. We are not of this world. I'll leave three dots on that one too. I apologize. There's just so much for us to get through. Perhaps our next podcast project could be a meditations one where we can stay on a thought for longer. But here we have to keep going. It is not surprisingly that Lot's two daughters, having grown up in Sodom, have also suffered under the influence of the prevalent sin around them. They take with them some of the very wicked ideas of what is important. So the older daughter decides that the two of them need to get pregnant by their father, because if not, there will be no lineage from them. They get their father drunk on two different occasions, and each lay with him while he was imperiled, and both become pregnant. Some commentators have suggested the pressures and realities of the day may justify their decisions, but uh, I don't buy it. It certainly helps to explain their actions. We've already covered some of the many injustices women faced at the time if they had no husband or brother once their father died. But this does not justify sinful thoughts and behaviors. Robin Hood is not a biblical character. Robbing someone is a sin, even when done to give to the poor. Remember, God is just. He will bring justice. That is why we're blessed when we thirst for justice and righteousness, because we will be filled, according to Matthew 5, 6. So we need not try to be judges ourselves, trying to bring justice, because we usually bring justice in unjust ways, because the problem is that we are not just. We have blind spots. We don't know everything. God alone is just, and so we have to trust Him. He's all-powerful. We do not need to carry this burden. Wait on Him. He's our refuge and strength. 
He's our Avenger. Hulk and Thor and Iron Man and the rest have nothing on God. We need, we must trust him and him alone. Lot's older daughter became pregnant and gave birth to a son named Moab, from whom the Moabites will come. The younger bore a son and called him Ben-Ami, from where the Ammonites will come. As you can imagine, the history of these two peoples is a troubled one. In Numbers 25, we read of how the Moabites led Israel to Baal worship. In Deuteronomy 23, we read about how the Moabites and the Ammonites hired Balaam to curse Israel. But let's be clear. The issue in Scripture, even when we read of races of people in this way, is always faith, not race. The book of Ruth is a good account of how Moabites and Ammonites who put their faith in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob can become part of the people of God. The issue is always faith. We've already discovered that that was what made Abraham pleasing in God's eyes. It was his faith, not his race. It is always about faith. What we can't ignore is the influence that you and I as parents have on our children. Our faith or lack of it can be impactful in their lives. If you're not yet a parent, you know how your parents' faith or lack of it had an impact on you. It should be no surprise to us then to find our children walking in the same ways we walked, committing some of the same mistakes, having some of the same weaknesses that we have. And it is in the way we walk, not in the way we talk. Sometimes we talk a good game in terms of faith, but our lives, our actions reveal the true state of our hearts. And our children pick up on it very easily, as every parent knows. God knows how many times I've had to repent for preaching unbelief to my children with my discontent and grumblings, even while I taught them about being faithful to God and trusting Him in everything. We must take this lesson seriously. Our lives will have an impact for generations to come. We don't get to choose whether or not we have influence, only what type of influence we will be. So let us turn from sin, decidedly, purposely. Let us embrace holiness, that separation, being separated by God for God. Let us not linger in the sin that ensnared us. Let us leave the past and walk differently. Let us walk in the light. That Hebrews passage we've discussed, pointing to all these giants of the faith, including Abraham and Sarah, concludes with the same charge in Hebrews 12.1. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Amen and amen. We lay aside every weight and that sin which clings so closely, and we look forward. We run, full sprint, our eyes set on Jesus. If we do so, we will endure. 
See you next time. I will put my trust in God who alone knows my makeup. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob.